Many years ago, when we were in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we were part of a church there, and a bunch of us from the church signed up for a dance lesson through the park and recreation, and it was, I think he was even in the park in a, on a slab area, and there are a lot of us there. It was a two-hour class teaching us to do the Western Swing. I couldn't tell you one thing about the Western Swing today. It was a long time ago. But I remember we were, Beth and I were dancing and uh, learning, learning the Western Swing, and I kept stepping on our feet. And it was annoying her, is that fair to say? And, and so finally I said to her, I said, well, Beth, if you were following my lead, you, I wouldn't be stepping on your feet. So we kept dancing, I kept stepping on her feet, and at one point, we were pretty close to the instructor, and she said, ow. And so he came over and he said, what's, what's wrong? And she said, he keeps stepping on my feet. And he looked at her and he said, well, if you were following, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> so, because in this particular dance, it was the man who was supposed to lead. And so he walks away, and she looks at me with a gleam in her eyes, and she says, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> in that particular dance, somebody has to lead, and somebody has to follow. If both people are trying to lead, we're going to be stepping on each other's feet. And that's kind of what he was saying to us. Now, he had told the husbands to lead this dance, but in this particular situation, it doesn't matter whether it was the husband or the wife, somebody had to lead, somebody had to follow, or we were going to be not having a good time together. This morning, we're continuing our series where we're looking at questions that are worth asking. And these are questions that the congregation submitted back in January and February. And throughout this summer, we're looking at these different questions. And the question this morning is one that I'm sure everybody's excited about. Are the husbands really the head of the household? I'm not hearing great enthusiasm. <laughs> I see a lot of nervous people. You know, I've done over probably close to 300 weddings over the years. And I think in all those years, I always allow the couple to give me the passage they want me to share from. And I, I can count on one hand the number of times a couple has asked me to share from this passage. And I get it. Because in our culture today, this would be considered, this would be considered politically incorrect. But I think that's because we don't understand the passage. And I also think it's because we don't understand God's intent with the passage. So this is about marriage. Whether you're married or not married, every one of us needs to understand what this passage is teaching. We need to understand it. Because if we don't understand the passage, as a single person, maybe one day you'll be married, or you will speak into other people's marriages. This is some of the clearest teaching in the New Testament about marriage. How God has structured the home for peace, for tranquility, 
and so that marriage may go well for us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and following. It begins, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's, let's pray together. Father, for many, this is a difficult passage, and some, because they have been abused in the past, taken advantage of, and it's hard for them to trust again. But Lord, we pray that we would not read this passage this morning through the eyes of our culture or even through the eyes of our life experiences. But Father, that you would open our eyes to that which you want us to see. It's our desire and our passion that we would have marriages that honor you, bring joy to our lives, and bring hope to our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage begins in verse 21, and before he calls wives to submit to their husbands, he, he calls all of us to submit to one another. This is to be the normal posture of Christian relationships. We are to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence, out of honor, out of respect, out of worship for Christ. Now, what does is, what is the word submit mean? Now, if you're a note taker, it's important to write this down. The word submission means to voluntarily, voluntarily relinquish your rights to another. You're not being compelled. You're not being ordered. You're voluntarily relinquishing your rights to another person. Now, to do that requires trust. And that's why the Bible calls us to love one another. If we don't love one another, we are not going to submit to one another. Husbands, if you don't love your wives, she's not going to want to submit and trust you. So submission talks about a voluntary choice that we make to submit and to relinquish our rights to another. This is how God defines it. So what is God doing in this passage? What he's doing is he's bringing order to the home, as we'll see in just a moment. 
He's bringing order and clarity to how we are to relate to one another in that crucial place that, that we all live, and that is in a family. Now, you might not be living in a family now, but you, uh, chances are you grew up in a family. Chances are you have experienced family in some way, shape, or form. But the normal posture of Christians is that we are willing to voluntarily relinquish our rights for another person in order to, to minister to another person. The way that Beth and I taught our kids to love was this. Love is being willing to give up what you want for yourself, to give it to another what God wants for them. That is submitting. That is serving. And it's voluntary. So let's go to this passage that is talking about the home. Again, God is bringing order to the home. God is bringing clarity to the home. Now, the way I like to look at it is anything with two heads is a monster. Anything with two heads, am I right, is a monster. If I had another head growing out of my shoulder, you'd probably think, wow, that's unusual right? Or you might be thinking, wow, two is even better than one. But we would probably, if I had another head, I'd probably be arguing with myself all the time. But here's the point. There is no country that I can think of that has two presidents. There is no country that I can think of that has two kings or two queens. There's no country I can think of that has two dictators or emperors. I can't think of a business that has two CEOs. I can't think of a fire station or a police station that has two chiefs. I can't think of an army that has two generals in charge of the same troops. Now, why is that? Because when you have two people, they're going to war against each other. They're going to battle against each other. They're going to disagree. Now, I'm going to share more about what this looks like in the home. Because it's important for us to understand what it's really saying. And so what God is saying is, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is how God has ordered the home. Now, I understand why women would be uncomfortable with that. If we as husbands have not earned the right through our servant's heart and our love, then they're not going to trust us. And I know that there are some of you that have grown up in, in homes where maybe there was a father that was maybe even used this passage to control and to dominate his wife and his family. That is not what this passage is teaching. It's not what this passage is teaching. So what are we talking about here? Let me describe it in my own marriage. Beth and I agree, uh, have the same understanding of this passage. And Beth is a very strong personality, and so am I. I, that's one of the things I fell in love with is because Beth would tell me when I was doing something I shouldn't do. She she's willing to confront me. She's willing to challenge me. I need that in my life. I didn't want to marry somebody who would see their role in their relationship with me as that of a doormat. I wanted to marry somebody 
that I knew that would tell me the truth and be strong enough to challenge me because I need that to grow. Now, we've got two very strong personalities. So how does it work in our home? Well, most of the time, Beth and I agree. Most of the time, we agree on what needs to be done or what needs to happen. We agree on our decisions. Well, what happens when we don't agree? What happens when we don't see eye to eye? What happens when we have a difference of opinion? If we're both, if we're both, if we're not paying attention to Ephesians 5, we can come to the point where we're frozen. We can't step forward. Or we're going to get into an argument where we're trying to convince the other person. So what do we do when we don't decide? We can't decide when we have a difference of opinion. I listen to her. I learn from her. I listen to her. I respect her. I honor her. Because I know that she's wise and I know that she has discernment. And I listen to her. But if we can't decide, then it's my responsibility before God, and I will be held accountable before God to make a decision that is not best for me, but is best for her and for the family in obedience to God. Friends, Beth may not agree with the decision I make, but I can't think of a time when you didn't trust that I was making a decision that I believed was best for you and the family. I don't make decisions that I think are best for me because I don't think that's what God has called me to do. It means I'm called to be the greatest servant in the home. And I want to love her and elevate her. In fact, this has been so helpful for me in our marriage. There was a time in our first church where I was an associate pastor and it was a rough situation. I told Beth, I don't want to do this anymore. I had a chance to go back into business and that's where I thought we were headed. I had somebody from Michigan, a good friend, call and say, hey, I'd love for you to come out here and look at this opportunity to minister in this church. And I said to Beth, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And she said to me, I think we need to be open to the Lord. I trust her. So we went. And even though at a deep level I sensed God calling me, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go through this again. And Beth said to me, Don, I think we need to go. And I listened to her because I recognized it was hard for me to hear the Lord given the experience that I had had. And I'll tell you, I am so grateful to God that Beth would speak to me with clarity and conviction. And I am so glad that I listened because God had a plan that I wasn't hearing because of my own issues. Does that make sense? Let me tell you what this passage is not teaching. Number one, it is not saying that men are smarter. Amen? <laughs> it's not saying that men are better leaders. It's not saying that men are more valuable. It's not saying that men are more important than women. It is saying that God is bringing order to the home. Now listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The, often it's said this way, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Goes on to say, if you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's seed, together we are heirs of his promises. It does not mean, God is not saying that men are more important or more valuable or smarter or better leaders. That's not what this passage is saying. God is bringing order to the home. The second thing that we see is that in the home, the wife's responsibility is to, is to submit to her husband. But she is not, she is, oops, wait a minute, did I, I went backwards, sorry about that. The wife is to submit to her husband if he calls her, if the husband is calling her to compromise her faith. She is not to submit to her husband in these situations. It does not mean that if your husband is asking you to do something that you know God does not want you to do, that you do it. Your first priority is to obey the Lord. Your first priority is to love the Lord. Listen to what it says here, that we see this in um, Acts 5. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. They said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We are not to obey or submit to our husbands, I should say, voluntarily relinquish our rights to our husband if our husband is asking us to do something that we know God does not want us to do. We are not to compromise our faith. But in a moment, we're going to see the great responsibility this places upon husbands in marriage. But wives, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to ask you this question. Do you respect your husband enough that you would voluntarily relinquish your rights, your rights for the sake of your marriage and your relationship? We live in a culture today where everybody fights to have their rights honored and respected. Everybody battles to be heard. Friends, that should not happen in the home. This is the place where we are to model the unity and the harmony that we have with Christ. We are to model for our children what it looks like for us to live in unity and harmony as we live in Christ. Now, if you look at the Godhead, what you see in the example of the Godhead, we have God the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the Trinity, the Son, Jesus, submits to the will of the Father, to the leading of the Father. The Son and the Spirit carry out the plans of our Heavenly Father. And so we see that even in the Godhead, there's this sense of submission. We see then with the Apostle Paul in that passage in Ephesians, he connects it to the church. For as Christ is head of the church, so is the husband the head of the household. And so he, he roots it 
in the way that the church relates to Jesus. So this is a, this, I believe this is a timeless challenge. This is not cultural. I believe this is a timeless challenge from generation to generation until Jesus returns. Now, for us as husbands, in the home, the husband is to love his wife as Jesus loves the church. This is challenging, men. This is challenging. You are to love your wife as Jesus loves the church. And I got to tell you, I believe that if we were loving our wives as Christ loves the church, our wives would be much more willing to submit to our leadership because they know that we are not making decisions apart from them. We are not making decisions that we think are best for us. We are leading in a way that honors our wives. We are leading in a way that elevates our family. We are leading in a way that, on, that honors Jesus. And so, what does this look like? Listen to what we read in this passage. This is an amazing passage. We read this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Have you ever thought about it? In loving my wife, I am loving myself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. This is the role of a husband, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Friends, men, we who are married, we are to love our wives. And the standard of that love is not only the way that we love ourselves, as he says about loving our own bodies, caring for our own bodies, but the way that Christ loves the church. So how does Christ love the church? He loves the church unconditionally. Men, if there is any condition upon which you love your wife, you need to give that up to the Lord. You don't love your wife as long as, you don't love your wife so that you love your wife, period. You don't have certain criteria where you say, well, as long as she does this, this, and this, I'll love her. No, it's unconditional. The love of Jesus says, while you and I were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He loved us in spite of ourselves. We love our wives. I heard a great story one time um, from a therapist who was meeting with a husband who was ready to say no to his marriage, is ready to divorce his wife. They were just at war with each other. And in the course of talking, the, the therapist looked at him and said, here's what I want you to do. Don't do anything for one month. 
but for one month, all I want you to do is to serve your wife. That's it. No strings, nothing. You just serve her. You serve her whether she serves you back. You serve her whether she's pleasing you. You serve her whether she's doing what you want her to do. You serve her, period. This husband came back a month later, and his whole countenance had changed. He said, I can't believe this, but I've, I love my wife like I did when we first were married. It's amazing. And she's responding to me. It's amazing. You see, friends, we get into these tit-for-tat in our marriages where you're not doing this for me, I'm not going to do this for you. You're not doing this for me, I'm not going to do this for you. Men, that is not an option. We love, period. And how grateful we are that Christ loves us, even as we are. Second thing it means is that you're sacrificial. It means you're consistent and you're faithful. It means that your love is permanent. It means that your love is focused on what it is that your wife needs, not what you need, but your wife needs. It means that it's directed by your desire to help her grow in her faith by providing spiritual support and encouragement to her. It's to be marked by affectionate caring. And I love this. It means that when she needs strength, you notice that and you provide strength. When she needs encouragement, you see that and you provide encouragement. When she needs help, you see that and you step in and you provide help. When, it, when she needs to be heard, you listen and you listen carefully to her heart. And when she needs to challenge and correct you, it means that you receive that as a gift from God. Not defensively, but as a gift from God. I read a, well, somebody gave me a book many years ago written by a pastor in the early 1950s, and he wrote it for Christian uh, or pastor's wives. It was a how to make your husband happy book. I can't find it. I kept it because I couldn't believe it. But it was things like when your husband comes home, you are to make sure that your hair is done and that you're wearing a pretty dress. You're to make sure that the children are um, all well-dressed and kept away from him because he's had a very difficult day and he's tired. And it goes on like that. And I remember thinking, ah, that's exactly what it isn't. The husband comes home and he says, how can I serve you? How can I love you? Friends, what this passage is not saying as well is that, that we have traditional roles in the home. Husband, husbands, and some of you, you might like cooking better than your spouse does, than your wife does. Great. There are wives in here that love to fix the car, to rebuild the tranny. Fantastic. There are no certain rules or roles that we have in the home. We look to each other's gifts and passions, and we let them live that out. One last challenge for the men. 
I believe that we are going to be held accountable for how we have led the home spiritually. Now, that doesn't mean you do it all, but you talk with your wife and you say, how can we do this together? How do we make this happen? But I think we're going to be held accountable for our headship. Have we empowered and strengthened our children and our, and our spouse to grow in their love for Jesus and to grow in their faith? Are we leading and guiding in a way in the home that is building spiritual maturity? Now, again, it doesn't mean that you necessarily do it. Your wife might be much better at that. But you make sure that it happens, and you make sure that you are building into her life. And then this passage concludes with this. As a general rule, and this isn't true for every marriage, but I found this to be pretty true in marriage. The wife's greatest need, the wife's greatest need is to be loved, while the husband's greatest need is to be respected. There's a class that we've taught here, I understand, before I got here, but it's based on an incredible book called, um, oh my gosh, Love and Respect, thank you. Love and Respect. I, I probably should have had it up here. Oh, Love and Respect. Hello. Love and Respect by um, Egerich is the author. And it's a beautiful book that really lays out this passage in a way that doesn't seem so outlandish. In a way that, yeah, this really does make sense. Listen to what how Paul ends the passage. He says, however, that's another way of saying in conclusion, in conclusion. He's going to summarize everything with these words. Each of you must, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Over the years, I've met with a lot of couples, and here's where I see marriages break down. When wives don't feel loved by their husbands, this is generally speaking, and husbands don't feel respected by their wives. Women, men need to feel respected. It's just, it, it, it's pretty common across the board from all the research that I've read. And men, women, across the board, not everyone, but they need to be loved. Now, obviously, respect is part of love. And love is part of respect. But these are two things that are critical and crucial. And for men, if they feel disrespected by their wife, it cuts deep. And for women, if they don't feel loved by their husband, it cuts deep. We have a responsibility biblically, and it's rooted. Both commands are rooted in the love of Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we ask this morning that you would speak your truth to our hearts. Help us to understand that which you are saying, Lord, that we may grow in our faith, that we may grow to understand your truth, that we may understand and apply this to our marriages. Oh, God, help us to break bad patterns in our marriages. Help us to have the courage to say, I'm sorry, and to say, I forgive you. 
I pray for marriages today that are on the ragged edge. May they come to a point where they say, Lord, we, we surrender to you. And we want to live as you have called us to live. We thank you that you're a God of order. And we thank you that you are a God who loves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.